Good day and thanks for joining me. I'm Cy Biggs. I'd like you welcome to the second uh, episode of my pod, the Royal Marines or Geo History Podcast. It's a series of podcasts telling the oral history of former Royal Marines and their memories and experiences in our corps. Uh, it's linked to my online project, uh, Mapping the Global History of the Royal Marines since its formation in 1664. I'd like to encourage you to sign up for the free uh, monthly newsletter, which I call DIT, and bring events from that month uh, from the Royal Marines over the past three and a half centuries um, into your mailbox every month. Um, today, uh, I've got a very special guest. I'd like to welcome uh, Mike Samuelson. Um, Mike uh, has got very many experiences uh, since joining in the, uh, in the 60s, uh, going all the way through uh, very many of the sort of withdrawal from empire and our, our um, external um, areas of sort of, uh, of reach from the Mediterranean, around the Mediterranean and the Middle East, um, and finally up corporate and even into northern Iraq, uh, uh, where I was uh, with Op Haven, uh, where I was with 4-5 Commando in uh, 91. So, uh, Mike, very, very, very welcome to the pod. Thank you very much for taking your time uh, and putting up with the uh, difficulties we've had uh, with the connection. It's a pleasure. Okay, so um, what I'd like to do, Mike, really is just start, get a feel for who you are and, and that is really sort of start um, from your early days is, is a bit of background about yourself, your, maybe your family, where you grew up uh, and why you chose the Royal Marines as a career. Sure. Well, I was uh, I was born on the 15th of January 1947. So I'm uh, coming up to 75 now. Terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> terrifying. Um, and I was uh, born and spent most of my early years in Surrey in a little village called Fetcham, which was close to Leatherhead and Dorking, Epsom, Guildford was our sort of was our area. I started with a primary, local primary school, and then went to a prep school just uh, on the peripheries of of, uh, of Guildford called Boxgrove, which sadly, a couple of years after I left, uh, became a housing estate. So although I think Boxgrove Road still exists, the the uh, the school, as I remember it, certainly doesn't. It is now, a, as, as happened with many prep schools, is now a housing estate. Um, from there, I went on to Charterhouse near Godalming. Um, and spent five years there. So that was from 60 to 65. So Boxgrove was 50, 55 to 60, and then Charterhouse was 60 to 65. Um, I was in a house called Duckites, and uh, I suppose I was not ac terribly academic, but what I was was quite sporty. And the same had happened when I was at prep school. I happened to be able to kick quite well with my left foot and not many people could. So I was a left wing or an inside left. And so I actually managed to get into first 11 teams rather earlier than my uh, possibly should have done. When, and other compatriots and my other uh, school boys who could only kick with their right foot. Um, and I had a, a good eye for the ball. My father, actually, pre-war, had been the runner-up in the amateur squash championships, which in those days was was the top um, top event run each year. Sadly, uh, when I came along just after the war, uh, and he came back from having been in the war, he was a gunner. Um, he did his knees in and we never really got to he never got to play seriously ever again he gave us some coaching and some lots of coaching tips 
um, and was brilliant, but we never really played competitively from then on. So why did I why did I join the Marines? Well, um, I had heard of them, um, and in about the uh, April of 1965, um, I was thinking about doing accountancy. Not that my maths was very good, but I liked the idea of perhaps eyes down for a few years and then uh, being able to travel the world. And one morning I came down to where all our letters were stacked uh, to see whether I'd got any mail. And there was a little poster and it said, do you enjoy adventure training and climbing and swimming and sailing? And I said, oh, yes, I do. It said, well, join the Royal Marines. Um, so <laughs> I rather took it at that. And, and uh, it just so happened that we were playing about, a, about the following week, a team at the first 11 cricket team. We were playing uh, a team from the Royal Naval Cricket uh, Club. Um, and it was a lovely guy called Derek Oakley, who many people will remember well as being a, a Royal Marine. Um, and a fanatical uh, uh, cricket player. Anyway, I got chatting to him and he said, you know what, I think you've got, yeah, why not? So he helped me put my uh, my application together and by having got through my medical and my um, interview down in Portsmouth, uh, rather in Gosport, at the Admiralty Interview Board, um, before I knew it, I had been... Um, selected to be a general list officer in YO32, and we joined in mid-September 1965. That's fantastic. And did you go straight to Limston for training? Yeah, we, we literally we uh, got out the train at uh, Limston, uh, uh, Exton. It, the Limston, uh, the, the halt that's now there at Limston is no longer, wasn't, wasn't there. So we got out at Exton and we were met by Calisant Priddy, I seem to remember, who was our, our yeah. drill instructor, yeah. um, who got us into a, a three-tonner um, and took us up to the camp. And there were, by the time everybody had met, there were 33 of us uh, joining. Um, yeah. And uh, by the following morning, we were 32 because one gentleman decided for reasons which we weren't really ever told uh, that uh, it wasn't for him. So we started our training in uh, in September 65, 32 of us. Um, and what's quite interesting is, is that I... Uh, look after our reunions I have done for a number of years. And I was just checking my facts and figures uh, recently. Um, and so we, when we passed out of uh, our, our initial training and went into our secondary part, I think it was called part one, uh, yeah. we lost quite a few who actually couldn't, who decided it wasn't for them or for reasons various. And, um, we have then had, sadly, three three of the batch died. Danny Moyer um, was actually killed in action in Aden. He was in 4-5 command, and he was killed in action, I think, in September 67. Um, and yeah. then we've had two others die. John Williams, um, who sadly uh, committed suicide, um, and Ian McGowan, Flash McGowan, 
Um, so there we are 22 still in YA32. Um, and we met for our 56th anniversary um, in September this year, end of September this year, uh, in a hotel in the New Forest. Um, and I think we sat down to, I think there were about 11 people who were able to make it eventually. But yeah. we, um, yeah, we're still in touch with most. Oh, that's amazing. What, what do you remember from your training? Do, do you remember any specific sort of uh, stories? Any any? Because you obviously went back to Limston um, quite a number of years later. So you know, what did you what what sort of? Yeah, thought, well, what we went we went back and uh, a few times in the early years, uh, and mm. then I um, we set up our fiftieth anniversary reunion. Uh, we only do them every five years uh, at Limston. Uh, and it was quite interesting going back. And of course, like all these things, there are bits that you remember, bits you don't remember. But what were what were our dying? What were our um, our memories most? Um, well, our batch officer was Malcolm Cavan, who sadly died last year. Um, he was ex SBS, and so gave us a pretty hard time. And so we were terrified of him. Officer's wing was in the old officer's wing building and we we in those days were accommodated in not in the main mess but we had our own accommodation just to sort of down to if you, if you face the the uh, if you've got the old mess now and off to the right was the old officer's wing and mm. there was accommodation down there it's called the stone block and various other bits and pieces um, and yeah. some of the exercises, yeah, the exercises, revelation. I think everybody of YO32 or exercise revelation, which was um, which was in the end, even Malcolm Cabin had to accept that he was needed to get us off this hillside somewhere on Dartmoor in the pouring rain at two o'clock in the morning, because otherwise he was going to have an awful lot of people down with with hypothermia. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. Well, it's not training if you haven't had that sort of problem, I think. Um, and and kind of the memories we all have. I think the two or three things that stand out from training are often like that, aren't they? The training finished. Uh, you passed out, um, and you um, went to four two commandos. Your first uh, commander unit, I believe. Yeah, four two uh, were out in Singapore, and I was very fortunate, along with three or four others, uh, to be sent out to four two commando. Um, when we got there, in fact, 4-2, um, uh, the confrontation had been, uh, was over. Uh, and I think they were on exercise in Australia. Uh, because actually, we three or four of us ended up uh, living with 40 Commando, which was in the same base, uh, the Fleet Amphibious Forces base, Sembar Wang. Um, and um, we there were but there for a... I think it's four or five weeks before the unit got back. And during that period, I actually, again, we were, I think all four of us uh, were very lucky. We were sent on a jungle warfare training course up at Ulu Tiram, um, up on the Malaysian, up, up the peninsula, um, yep. which was very interesting. Um, and then when, when the unit came back, we continued with our training and lots of sport and uh, lots of... Um, enjoying ourselves uh, and then towards the end of i think it was sometime in september we were warned off that uh, 
we would be the unit that was going to uh, go out on a, a commando carrier uh, and head off to Aden to cover the final withdrawal. So this is um, this is September '67, mm. um, and that we would then be the final unit uh, in in Aden to uh, to withdraw and jump on the on the uh, the LPH. That's to a degree what happened. Um, except that, uh, as far as I was concerned, AI was advance party, so I flew out along with the rest of the advance party. Um, and we overnighted in Gan. I remember that, the old uh, Air Force base at Gan. Uh, oh, right. Where's that? That's Maldives? In the Maldives. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. um, and anyway, then flew into Cormaxa in, in, in Aden. Uh, Cormaxa was the RAF... Uh, airstrip airbase and as a unit I 4-5 had withdrawn by that time from uh, Little Aden where they'd been based for a number of years and they mm. had taken up in Marla in the Marla area I seem to remember in, in some um, buildings in Marla Strait um, and for two commando, we were based in Steamer Point, which was where the High Commission and where the sort of uh, was all. It wasn't. I don't think it was a, a sovereign base, as rather like Cyprus, but it was sort of a, a secure area. Yeah. Um, and I think the three rifle troops. Um, one was uh, doing OPs. One was doing patrolling, um, and the other one was as a standby. And we used to just circulate around those three tasks. Um, and sometime in towards the end of October, I was on OP duty and in Tawaii, um, which was a, a sort of enclosed. It, by that time, Crater had been packed up and, and everybody had withdrawn back, as I say, to Steamer Point and, and Marla and Cormaxa. Uh, and I was uh, one of my, my troop was responsible for, for uh, being on duty on some high rise flats overlooking uh, the, the centre of Tawaii uh, and the, the area where the Arabs all lived in their kuchi huts. Um, and um, unfortunately, one evening, um, I was doing duty in the OP and I can remember, and we had a, a GPMG sticking out the front. We weren't allowed to have it cocked. Uh, we had to uh, to uh, cock it if, we were, if it was going to be used. And um, I can remember seeing some tracer fire somewhere down in amongst the Kuchi huts coming our way and I bent down to uh, cock the gun and the next thing I knew I was lying on the ground going oh I, my god I've been hit um, and clearly during the day and there'd been an incident when they had shot at a patrol that had, from one of the other companies um, that had been going around the the, um, the peripheries of the mm. of the area um, and I think they just lined up a rifle on the barrel of the machine gun work of the GPMG working on the assumption there was going to be some mug stood behind it. And I happened to be the mug. Um, uh, I 
which um, fortunately, being a bit thick, it, it, the the bullet bounced off my head. We weren't, uh, I didn't, wasn't wearing a steel helmet at the time, and actually wasn't, <laughs> unfortunately, wasn't even wearing my green berry because it was about <laughs> nine o'clock at night. So I can't right. say I've got a green berry with a bullet hole in it. No. <laughs> and um, and um, I was, I can remember a couple of marines coming underneath and, and coming into the the op saying oh my god my sir's been hit where is it where is it and i kept saying it's my head it's my head um and then apparently i proceeded for the next half an hour to try and give a far control order sniper down aljama street sniper down aljama street i can't remember any of that but i do remember it's funny what you do remember i remember hearing the the kazavak uh, one somebody sending a kazavak call sign sunray call sign three threes being shot in the head and needs urgent evacuation the next thing I can remember was waking up in Cormaxa Hospital with a very, very sore head. Uh, I, was there for, I was there for a couple of days. I'm not sure exactly how long because time seemed to uh, become very confused. Um, but I do remember being visited by uh, um, Colour Sergeant Murray Alexander, who was actually the PTI 4-5 commando. Um, and he had been uh, our the staff PTI for for all our training. Mm. And he'd heard that young sir had been shot. Um, so he came to visit me. And I mean, it was a real tonic that, that and that when apparently when he left, he told me later, the, um, the, the nurses, somebody came up to him and said, um, well, do you know, that's fantastic. Thank you for coming to see Mike, because he, um, you're the first person that he's actually talked some sense to. So which Alexander, in a very Scottish accent, said words to the effect of, well, if I didn't mean something to him, nobody bloody would. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, so I I was then Kazavaked home. Uh, we went back uh, on a, I think it was an Argosy. Yeah, somebody's coming back. It was an Argosy to Bahrain and then a Britannia from Bahrain to Cyprus. And then Cyprus, and in theory, we were meant to be we were meant to be landing at uh, at uh, Bryce Norton to the, for me to get sent off to um, RAF Rorton, which is not that far away. But actually, the um, it was all fogged out in that area, so very conveniently we were diverted to uh, Thorny Island down on the ah, not, on yeah. the edge of uh, Chichester Harbour. Um, and we landed there, and I was then taken out of the aircraft um, on a stretcher, put into a helicopter, and helicoptered off to Hasler, uh, which was a lot more convenient than Norton, yeah. as far yeah, as my parents sure. who, who lived up the A3 uh, yeah. were concerned. And I went in, I was on the seriously ill list for about uh, two and a half weeks, and yeah. got out just in time for, uh, for Christmas. And subsequently, my twenty-first birthday. Oh, oh, right, that's amazing. So, what, what, um, you know, what do you remember about being shot? Then, did, did it glance your head? Did you, did you get? Have you got a scar? And did it, it glance down? It, or? It, it cracked my skull. So cracked my skull. my parting is now the the line that it cracked. <laughs> that's how unbelievable. Yeah, oh. I mean, another inch lower, it would have gone in rather than bouncing off. Yeah, sure. I was sure. a lucky boy. 
what sort of weapons do you think they were using? Um, I, I, you know, I, I think they had uh, 7.62 rifles. Uh, yeah, because what think, it was, I really don't know. I don't know. Yeah, because they they were, uh, I think they were armed pretty much by the Russians through sort of e Egypt, weren't they? That, that it was yeah, the Russians. Yeah, could have been could have been a yeah. I, re I really yeah. don't know. No, that's incredible. But you're very very lucky. Yeah, really lucky. Um, and and then of course the unit then was just behind you. I guess it's it was, yeah. It so I, I I I had meant to do some research and be able to tell you the exact date that this happened because I've still got my wound certificate shot I'm in sure. the head. I think it said hairline <laughs> fracture to the skull, and so it, it goes on. But I think it was something like the twenty eighth of October. All ah, I do yeah. know, I was a bit upset that I hadn't done my 28 days. So was I going right. to get a medal? But, yeah. but the answer was, yes, I did get the uh, the general service medal with the Aiden <laughs> clasp. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, imagine missing that out by a day and yeah, and being shot as well. Oh, that, that's, that's incredible. Well, um, and what do you remember about sort of, uh, you said, you know, guys were patrolling. Obviously, the overwatch was to protect the patrols and the sort of the, the long the long shots, I guess, down those larger streets and things. Um, by that time, though, you, you were withdrawn into a sort of smaller area. It was really just sort of protection of those of those people, I suppose, you know, doing the final parts of the withdrawal before you actually left. Um, uh, you weren't doing anything aggressively. I guess it was all sort of defensive op ops, was it? Yeah, I don't think there were any aggressive ops. We, uh, we were literally just... Uh watching our ass, I suppose. Yeah, and, yeah. And I would imagine that, um, and I never really followed it up, but I think we then all, with four or five commando, flew home um, and the 4-2 commando consolidated in Steamer Point and then yeah. we they were then flown off to the LPH uh, when it was time to go. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the history says that it was... You know, four five. You protected four five commander. Four five, four five commander. Then withdrew um, back in helicopters, whirlwinds, I guess, back onto sort of the carriers, and then four two finally left um, over the next couple of days. And the last to leave, twenty um, ninth of November. And the, your commanding officer was um, Lieutenant Colonel Di Morgan. Yeah, Di Morgan. Yeah. And he, the advance party of four five commander into Aiden in sixty three, uh, seven seven years, seven seven and a half years before. And they said that he was the last British serviceman to leave Aiden. So he'd been one of the first in on the, on the advance party with 4-5 yeah. and, and left with 4-2 as the CO and, and was one of the last people off. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, end of an era, really, that sort of withdrawn. Him. And then I guess we kind of lost our influence then in, in that region, um, only having, you know, Singapore then and, and really Malta, Malta left. Um, so yeah, very interesting bit of history to be involved in, I think, and then to have the story you've got as well, uh, and to survive—that's that's incredible. Um, well, so I luckily, came back, and because I had allegedly—and I have to believe them—had an epileptic fit on the trip home, I think I was just saying, "Hey, team, can you can you give me some more knockout pills because my head's hurting?" But they yeah. say I had an epileptic fit. Right. Um, when I did come out of Hasler, I was obviously on light duties. I rejoined the batch for part uh, three training um, with a fairly shorn head. <laughs> <Yeah>. And uh, <laughs> I was able to do most things, a few things I wasn't allowed to do, like um, get too involved in the acquaint with the SBS, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. 
Um, and then I was kept on light duties at Limston um, for 18 months while I was um, yeah, recuperating, I suppose. And I had the, the extraordinary role of administration officer number one which as a, as a very young officer was, was a bit daunting. And, we, and I was responsible for married quarters exactly. um, and gardens. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> it, was, it was a bit diverse, but it, but it certainly opened my eyes up when I subsequently got married and we were you know, moving into married yeah. quarters. It, it certainly gave me some useful tips. <laughs> so from there, you went to 40 Commander was your next, uh, next unit. Yes, yeah, so once I had recuperated and, and I got off the dreaded phenobarbitone um, and yeah. therefore back to square one again, um, I was then got married um, okay. and uh, was sent off to, when we were posted off to Singapore as a sort of, well, you know, he deserves to go to the sun again, <laughs> what I like to think. And so we went off to Singapore and did, I think, 18 months there to then be the last ones to, to uh, withdraw out of Singapore. Really? I'm wrong. So, and I was the assistant adjutant, I seem to remember, which, again, yeah. was, an, was an interesting role. Um, um, and then we then withdrew after, after say, 18 months, and, and we had a lovely time out there. Um, and we moved into Seton Barracks and I was, as the assistant adjutant, I was one of the sort of advance party to come back uh, whilst the unit um, came back on a, one of the carrier, one of the commando carriers, again, via the Middle East, just to, to in case it was required. And they were not due to come back until after Christmas. But I remember that we say suddenly decided to give in and... Um, so we had to go and meet them flying in uh, just before Christmas uh, up okay. at Rise Norton, which was an interesting exercise. Again, welcoming yeah. them and trying to steer them through customs um, without getting caught with arms, arms and legs <laughs> full of watches. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes on today. <laughs> so, oh yeah, of course, seats and barracks then, yeah. So, they, they went to so we moved into Seaton Barracks, yeah. and then at that stage, um, I was was released from uh, from being the assistant adjutant and took over recce troop. And then okay. late the following year, oh, I lose track of the dates, um, we headed off to to Belfast. Um, yeah, and so, uh, the emergency tours, right? Based in Girdwood Park, um, so in Belfast. Um, yeah. And our patch for the company that I had was in support company, was um, was uh, the new lodge, which of course was a, uh, a quite a, a hotbed of activity, and so we all patrolled round as figure eleven targets for four months, waiting to be shot at. Um, yeah. And during that period, Operation Motorman, where. Um, we sort of took control of the area as best we could. Um, and a slightly amusing little story while I think about it. Um, we were given some uh, armoured vehicles called pigs um, yeah. to patrol in. 
And one of the first ones we were allocated, uh, it was my turn with about half a dozen of the rest of my recce troop to be in the back of. And my troop sergeant was looking out the copula, I think they call it, and telling the driver where to go. And somehow the message got slightly wrong because before we know it, knew it, we were going down the new lodge road itself, which was not, <laughs> right, the, plan, which was not <laughs> the plan. So we managed to get the driver to turn left and go into one of the adjoining streets uh, to get us out because we knew there was a barricade at the end of the new lodge. Um, yeah. And so we went down this other subsidiary smaller street only to find there was a barricade there as well. And um, so we said to the driver, do you think you can get over it? Um, and he said, well, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. So he yeah. put it into low gear. And we teetered up this barricade and sat on the middle. <laughs> I was thinking, bloody hell, are we ever, what are we going to do? If, we, if, you know, if we open the doors to try and get out, they're just going to pour a bloody gunfire into it. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, it rocked and we got, uh, we got, some, we got some drive and pulled out. Uh, and so we we did not actually have to uh, to get out of the vehicle until we had had left the area and then quickly stopped to check whether or not they'd put any put any bombs yeah. underneath, put any yeah, bombs underneath. Yeah, that's oh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Um, okay, well that's yeah. I, that was nineteen seventy-two. I just looked it up yeah yeah uh, motor man was 72 yeah july yeah. uh so basically trying to break open all the sort of the areas that have been taken over by the residents and and uh, the no-go areas it was a very interesting time i mean uh, you know it pales into insignificance when you compare what uh, people were the guys and the girls were having to put up within afghanistan but yeah nevertheless in those days it was it was a fairly fairly tricky area and uh quite quite busy sure and and did you stay for a full sort of just for the operation and then and then and then you all came no home? we did we did i think four and a half months may have been five yeah. months so we were on what was known as an emergency tour as opposed to a, yeah. a, a full-time a regular tour. Yeah. yeah and then and then um you then did for one because you wanted to tickle the commando units off so you then did one for, for one commando yeah um, i well i went off and was did a signal officers course Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and uh, was then, yeah, was then um, appointed to become the signal officer of Fort One Commander, who in those days were in was in were in Malta. Exactly what I did, and I we got out to Malta and we took the family out, and I had two young, very young children at that time. And yeah. Fort One in Malta was great fun for the blokes, but the families didn't really enjoy it because we were always away. <laughs> We were having a great time, yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly yeah. leaving wives with young children. Um, we didn't really appreciate what they were having to put up with because it's a fairly small island. Mm. Um, and uh, the unit, when I got out there, was about two weeks later, was tasked to go off to, uh, to Cyprus. Uh, they had actually been deployed to Cyprus during the 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 uh, the war the Turkish Greek War Cypriot War um, but had come back by that time um, and we were to go out as part of the UN as that was announced I was also uh, directed back to UK to Warminster to do the junior scribblers course junior 
division of the staff column, whatever it was called. Um, yep. So I didn't actually deploy with the unit initially. Um, I did my course and then went back. Then went back to Malta. I think I had Christmas there and then flew out to to join them in Polymedia Camp, just outside Limassol. Um, and um, I had then three months left. Uh, they did six months, I think, or certainly uh, five months. And I caught up to the, the end three months. Again, fascinating, very interesting. A signal officer, I had my own vehicle. And, uh, and conveniently, we had a rebroadcast station um, on the top of Trudos, actually manned by some Canadians, but they, they were doing it on our behalf. So, of course, we had to go and check on them most, most weekends particularly during the winter when the skiing was quite good. <laughs> I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> and that was, a, that was a UN tour then? That, yeah, that, that was a UN, UN tour. Yeah. UN At that yeah. stage, we were, we were looking after or keeping an eye on the essentially the Turkish Cypriot enclaves and villages that um, were, as part of the deal, being moved north. So we were... Uh, responsible for seeing fair play and that they weren't yeah. actually massacred and that they actually were transferred north uh, fairly and square you know without too much of an issue yeah 1974 i'll take your sounds... word for it <laughs> yeah uh, well, part of, there was a lot of um uh, stuff around, but i've just searched um for one commando 1974 yeah so probably yeah. Uh, right uh british uh, Cyprus emergency. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, at, at Chiros Mountains. Um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of action with the Royal Marines around Chiros Mountains. Uh, Four five commander lost a few guys up there uh, during the Cyprus. Yeah, during the uh, Oka campaign. Itself, yeah. So. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, working for the UN, you know, we were not in a war fighting scenario. Um, no. We were very much just trying to keep the peace. Yeah. Um, but it was it was very interesting. It was it was certainly a fascinating thing to do, and I grew to love Cyprus because it's such mm -hmm. a fascinating mixture. Um, and when I went back subsequently with Forty Commando, um, when we uh, went back for so did a second tour there, we were based in Decalia for three months, and then up on the line for three months. And I at that stage was. Uh, company commander, a support company. Um, and yeah. We had a, a, had a patch just outside Nicosia, close to Nicos the old Nicosia airport. Again, fascinating stuff. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's still there now, all those sort of um, buffer zones and, yeah, you know, yeah. The, 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 the green line, the green zone. Green. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's all still there and still a problem. So it's interesting. It's uh, uh, you, you were involved there twice. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then three commando brigades. Well, before I got to three commando brigade, just very briefly, I I, I, I fluffed my staff college exams. Right. I did tell you earlier that I was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I did manage to get to uh, to uh, the uh, the Royal Na the Naval College at Greenwich. But before I did that, I was actually um, made the adjutant of the commanded logistics regiment. Which, ah, okay. which was uh, at Coypool, just in Coypool, on the yeah. periphery of, of, of Plymouth, um, yeah. based there. 
And it, again, it was a fascinating two years. Mm. Logistics was just beginning to be identified as being, you know, we couldn't fight. We didn't have logistics. Now, you know, I know Napoleon and Wellington and people knew that, but to a degree we'd sort of forgotten it. And yeah, okay. we rarely began to be taken seriously of what we were trying to achieve logistically and uh, things like ammunition packs prior to the prior to when I got there. Um, nobody really worried about uh, carting empty boxes around as, as mock ammunition packs. Mm. Um, and it led into some very lackadaisical planning and, and um people didn't appreciate quite what uh, you know they couldn't do things quite as quickly because we couldn't logistically back it up so yeah. i joined the logistic regiment just again at the right time when it began to get recognized and we did two winter deployments um and it was very fascinating i really enjoyed it and what i would think what i was able to bring at that stage with some operational background. I didn't know much about logistics. And then subsequently, when I joined uh, 3 Commander Brigade as the GSO 3 Ops, um, as it was in those Ops exercise in amphibious warfare, um, I was able to bring the logistic sort of yeah. to to that job. Yeah, very interesting. And of course, you know, then with the Falklands, you'd already done two winters doing logistics as well. And of course, logistics in the Falklands, you know, lessons learned, I'm sure, from those winter deployments were, were invaluable. It was indeed, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Koipo, so were, I guess the uh, Brigade Air Squadron was still down there at that time as well, and, and it was quite a, quite a unit, wasn't it, quite a size. So then you went on to GSO-3 Amphibops, um, so a uh, 3 Commando Brigade headquarters position. Yeah, working for um, working for Julian Thompson, the, when, and my immediate boss was the brigade major John Chester, who sadly um, died a couple of years ago, and very much involved in the exercise planning phase. And um, it was actually in end of March 1982 that uh, we were uh, I was responsible for the the uh, getting people, uh, to, the, the planning team to to, uh, to Denmark, because we were going to, in September, do a NATO exercise with the uh, US Marine Corps, 4th Marine Amphibious Brigade, and the, and the Danish Guard, yeah. um, Danish forces. I can't remember what the exercise was called, but when, in the end of March, we were doing the exercise reconnaissance for it. Um, and um, we started off doing the the operational bit, the the uh, the sort of the main the the war fighting bit of it, if you like. Um, and then on the brigade commander then left us, I think, on the Wednesday. And on the Thursday, I received and, and gave them a brief all the unit uh, two ICs and quartermasters who were coming on the exercise, uh, who we then packed off to go and join their uh, home local home guard people uh, who who were going to look after them during the deterrent phase so the first phase actually of yeah. the, the exercise 
um, and we spread them out around. We were based as a as a as a reconnaissance as a headquarters um, team in Viborg, which is in the middle of Jutland, and we yeah. spread them out to the four winds around Jutland. Um, Fortunately, I had telephone numbers for where they were going because four o'clock the following morning, um, John Chester comes into the hotel room that I was sharing with, with a colleague um, and said, just heard from the brigade commander, you've got, we've got to, um, uh, the Argentinians invaded the Falkland Islands. We've got to get everybody back. Three commander brigades being put on standby. Uh, we've got to get everybody back. Well, what do you do at four o'clock in the morning in the middle of Jutland? And you've got to get to Copenhagen <laughs> to fly home. Interesting. Yeah. Well, by yeah. 9.30, we had everyone, and there were, I think, 27 of us off the top of what I can remember, yeah. in Copenhagen Airport with our tickets ready to catch the 9.45 Scandinavian Airways back to Heathrow. And we presented Incredible. our tickets and we were told... Uh, I'm very sorry, um, but I'm afraid they're in BA endorsable tickets only. You have to wait till the midday BA flight, and then there's another one at five or six o'clock. So <laughs> we we sat at the Copenhagen airport uh, trying to find out where the hell the Falkland Islands were. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember phoning my wife, whose birthday was actually the 2nd of April, um, and she thought I was wishing her, phoning her specially to wish her a happy oh, birthday. Happy. And yeah. actually it was to say that we were we were in Copenhagen Airport waiting to come home um, because we were then off to the Falkland Islands, wherever they were. Yeah, um, so we managed to get uh, the key people away on the 12 o'clock flight and the rest of us caught up on the, uh, the, the 5 or 6 o'clock flight. And I remember we flew into uh, Heathrow where we were told, are you can can all the army group? We said, do you mean the Royal Marines? Oh yes, all Royal Marine group. Get off first, please. There's a little aircraft waiting for you to take you down to the West Country. And there was a a, a, a naval, uh, I think it was a, a heron, waiting for us to uh, to fly us down. Ideally, they were going to try and take us to to, uh, to Plymouth, but actually, yeah. the lights had broken or something, so we went into extra and then caught a coach. Um, <laughs> And that was the Friday. The yeah. Saturday we were doing the planning and the initial planning didn't fit. Uh, there were too much to fit in the various ships we were allocated. So we cold-tailed it on the Saturday. Sunday was the mounting meeting. Monday we had a little bit of time to ourselves. Um, and some people like um, intelligence officer went off to the local library to get Jane's fighting ships to see what the Argentinians had yeah. <laughs> um, and on the Tuesday afternoon as HMS Fearless passed Plymouth we jumped in a, a Sea King and flew off to join join the ship yeah. Um, yeah. what I forgot to say was while we'd been in, in Denmark um, I had uh, gone down to liaise with my colleague, my opposite number in 4th Marine Amphibious Brigade, um, who was, they were staying not in a motel, but on the local uh, NATO airbase. And I went down there to just make sure he was happy with all the arrangements and I got chatting with him and he was a Lieutenant Colonel and I was a beer captain. And mm. I said, well, Colonel, are you happy with the arrangements? You've got four or five joining you and um, happy with all those arrangements? He said, Mike, I don't know why we're here. So I said, well, we're 
excise reconnaissance for um, excise plum, whatever it was. Yeah. He said, oh, I know that. You say, but we're not going to be on that exercise. We're, um, we're just, we're, we're, for the last two months, we've been planning to go to war. So I said, oh, you know, can you tell us where you're going? And yeah. um, he mentioned the country. And I said, well, you know, jolly, you know, I hope it all goes okay. He said, yeah, we're just waiting for the waiting for the go from the White House and uh, everything's ready to go. We've been, our general's been keeping, um, everything's pre, you know, paper preloaded. And yeah. um, so we're not going to be in this exercise. I said, well, Colonel, just on the, just on the off chance you are, are you still happy with what 4-5 commander? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw him again in Norway uh, at the end of that year, in the end of 82, and I said, Colonel, um, did you have a good exercise? Because <laughs> they never went to where they were planning on going. He looked at me and he said, you bastard. He said, I remember that conversation. You must have known that something yeah. was up. Because you you've been and done the Falklands and are now back again and and I yeah. mean you must have known and I said I promise you until four yeah. o'clock the following day yeah. we had yeah. absolutely no idea what of anything. Nice. He said, "Well, I, I can't know. believe." And you know, I know that the three commander brigade, even with its extra units, was not as big as fourth under four marine amphibious brigade. But nevertheless, he said, I can, I just cannot comprehend how you did it. <laughs> We're wondering the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You didn't even know where the Falklands were. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess, was that Mount Wise? in those days was it you you went back uh, we were yeah we well we were we were the three commander brigade was in in stonehouse barracks but yeah. uh we actually were working out of yeah commando forces we moved up to commando forces at mount wise right yeah really really interesting. and what do you remember about the because you would have joined fearless then uh because you've been obviously part of the uh sort of the planning group and, and everything yeah else. yeah what can i remember about fearless i can remember walking along all the corridors uh which had food boxes of food <laughs> all the way yeah. down them um yeah. and i can remember um fairly continuous pipes being made uh major sotheby taylor to the <laughs> commodore's planning cabin <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm sure <laughs> so Ewan would troop off to to give some more information. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I, what did I do? I spent most of the next week or so, and again, I can't remember how long we took to get to Ascension, but basically I every day I travel, I got a helicopter trip to another one of the ships that were in the flotilla to find out what actually they had on board, not what we yeah. said had been as when the, when the mounting meeting had happened. Sure. Um, to find out exactly what we had and where they were. And yeah. so I used to spend most of the day going between various ships, uh, keeping a tally and, and working out what actually they had and how they uh, were considered. Because, yeah. I mean, once you left Ascension, I mean, you, you really had to be sort of packed. Everything had to be packed in the right order, didn't it, depending on Well, on the what, problem was you know. that we did, we, 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 when we mounted out of Plymouth, um, we had no real idea what we were going to do. The you know the mission sure. was get get out of UK as quickly as possible and get on your way. So that's what we yeah. did, and and again it had never been done. 
So everybody knew that an anime, an, a commando ammunition pack fitted in an LSL because that's what the that's what the book said. Yeah. What we hadn't appreciated was the only place they could put that ammunition pack of however many tons of ammunition, I think 500 tons, something like that, oh. um, was in the centre of the tank deck. Yeah, of course. That's what yeah. They did because yeah. it was the only thing they could do. Yeah. And that meant you couldn't use it as a row row. Yeah, of course. Because yeah. you had all yeah. this ammunition. Right in the centre, yeah. Mac in the middle. And, yeah, and okay. So having ascertained how we were configured, we got to Ascension. We uh, set up some training, not that I was involved in that, but one of my colleagues was involved on the training side. Um, in the meantime, uh, we just thought we had better try and configure ourselves rather better for what we might have to do. And there was one empty, one empty LSL. I think it was Bedivere, but it may not have been. That was that had been had come to Ascension from Belize, empty, and we also had a, a quite a number of Mexi floats off the other yeah. LSLs, and so we sat round a table, and we um, in the Commodore's planning conference planning cabin, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we worked out this reorganisation of 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 our assets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so for a few days, we had ammunition packs drifting around on on, on these on mixy floats and things. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was a real jigsaw trying to fit things in because all we really had to play with was one empty LSL to, yeah. to use as a base to move other stuff around. But we, we did it. And for the first few days, had we been told to get our to, to get moving, we would have been in an even worse state than when we had started the reorganization. But nevertheless, we got away with it um, and um, uh, headed then, then got the directions. In the meantime, the brigade major and the rest of the team were um, sort of trying to trying to think and trying to get on some planning as to what on earth we were going to do and where were we going to land. Mm. Um, Personally, I wasn't terribly involved in that. I was more on the hands-on getting things yeah. better, better organised. And then we well, headed off. Um, yeah. And the another story that I, I often tell is that um, we had decided, I say we, you know, the Commodore and, and, um, and, uh, and the Brigadier decided that... Um, uh, we were better off to have three units still on Canberra. I think that was uh, 40 Commando, 4-2, and one of the Paras. Yeah. yeah. Um, I forget which one, two Para, I think it was. Uh, leaving them on Canberra, and they had trained up, and they could get people off Canberra pretty quickly, certainly as quick as off overloaded LPDs. Mm. Um, and the message uh, had uh, sort of got a little bit distorted back here in UK apparently and just before we or uh, no we set off from from um, from Ascension and um, the message came back on a phone call one of the many phone calls back to Northwood was uh, you have only got one unit haven't you on Canberra to which the brigadier had to admit no we didn't we actually had three units and the message clearly was oh blimey 
We dare yeah. tell the, uh, the prime minister that uh, because we've told her there's only one unit. Um, so right, yeah. we were faced with this this problem of, of getting yeah. two units off Canberra um, in the middle of the South Atlantic. Yeah, um, bloody hell. And I so think that, they were worried we, about the brain threat, weren't they? But I think yeah, that was so, a... so we we again sat around in the Commodore's planning cabin oh God, yeah. to decide what we were going to do. And so yeah. ideas came up of well, well, drop the landing craft and do it by helicopter. And the 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 view was that the helicopters we had used enough already and were well over their um, their their oh, hours, their peacetime mm. hours for certain. So, yes, we could probably use them for, for ammunition, but we couldn't do it for, for personnel. Dropping landing craft, well, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic, not probably the most sensible thing to do. So the, the, the end solution, and I jest not, was to have uh, Canberra steaming down the middle uh, with um, the two LPDs, one either side, Jack Stay transferring the personnel. So it was a unit, a unit oh. each oh. to the two LPDs. That's and orders were sent out that evening to prepare for this Jack Stay transfer. Um, the yeah, following I morning, so. I remember getting up and it was almost wasn't quite flat calm but for all intents and purposes it was flat calm yeah and the decision was made drop the landing craft and we did yeah. it by lunchtime um but it was okay. the most bizarre thing and, yeah. and it was a lovely day oh, a bit overcast but it was in principle a lovely day yeah um, and the following day maybe in the day later we were due to enter the tez and we knew yeah. the argentinian um surveillance aircraft were out looking for us yeah um, and had it been another nice day we were everybody was worried that they would spot us as it yeah. was it was claggy misty foggy quite rough and of course they didn't they didn't pick us up mm, incredible really i mean absolutely incredible uh, uh, you know and so lucky i <laughs> jack's day transfer like that would have been just well, seven eight hundred maybe nine hundred yeah, it was. It was bizarre. All equipment and yeah, uh, unbelievable. Uh, okay, well that's really uh, that's really interesting. So then you steamed down um, uh, and headed for San Carlos. Yep. And did um, you stay? Uh, as a pl I guess I'm fit planning. You 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 stay on fearless. Well, I was my my role at that stage was then to help with all the offload planning preparation yeah. and preparing the the various documentations and all that side. Um, and what was what, just going back very slightly, the operations order. Um, we had when we got on to Fearless, we ascertained she had been used by the by Dartmouth training for Dartmouth training, and they had left on board a I wouldn't say it was a computer, but it was certainly quite a quite a swept up electronic typewriter. And nobody really knew how to work this. So I became the, the expert in the electronic typewriter. And I actually ended up typing out the, <laughs> the op order and all the, and all the offload paperwork. Oh, really? Um, and that so works. we went into San Carlos. I can remember going down to the tank deck to uh, wave goodbye to, to the leading uh, landing craft that were heading off and then went got my head down 
got back up uh, as dawn was breaking and we had started the landing um, yeah. to hear that a couple of the, uh, the the light aircraft had sadly been shot down over Port San Carlos uh, and things had been a little bit delayed. And then we were there all day and then the following morning the brigade, the, the brigade landed in, into San Carlos. Yeah, okay. uh, the brigade yeah. headquarters landed into San Carlos into a gorse yeah. bush. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, disguised as a gorse bush. Yeah. Um, and we, I was essentially, my, my role was the crisis managing of, uh, of the brigade headquarters um, on, the op on the op side. I didn't do any of the, to the, any, get involved in the forward planning, um, but I looked after the, the minute to minute stuff that was going on. Once the guys were ashore, you, were you dealing then with sort of, general sort of ship to shore stuff and, and, and moving uh, moving logistics around, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, we, we had landed with a view, and I think our mission at the time was to land and establish a beachhead. Um, mm. And uh, that's what we did. Uh, and there was, uh, after about a few, after a few days, again, I can't remember how many days it was, um, it, there was a conference uh, ashore, uh, which the Commodore and uh, the Brigadier came obviously to, and they were trying to plan out what were the next steps. Yeah, I didn't attend this. I was down in the ops room or in, yeah. the, ops, in the ops tent stroke BV. Um, and I was led to believe that the end result of that was that the, to, the next stage was going to be to move forward and move to Teal Inlet and uh, possibly uh, up a, on the other coast. Um, yeah. And that was probably going to take the best part of a week by the time everything was, was sorted and cleared and we'd put minesweepers in and, and, and. Um, yeah. And later that afternoon, the Brigadier... Uh, was summoned to uh, to go and talk on the SATCOM, which we had put over at Ajax Bay with the with the medical squadron and the hospital over there because that's where we yeah. thought it was more important to have rather than the operational side. Right. And he, I can remember, I think I organised him a, a either a helicopter trip or a. a, a a rigid raider to get him there and he came back and he was sort of apoplectic um, because the nub of it was that the orders were to get moving now and, and yeah. of course what we what we based in the Falklands had absolutely no idea about was Ooh. the political pressures that were being heaped on on the prime minister and and the, the government to resolve this peacefully um, and leave the Argentinians on the Falkland Islands. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So we were just doing what we thought, uh, and we had no idea. And I don't think the brigadier did either. No. Might yeah. The, the, the pressures that they were under. And, of course, the pressure yeah. was to get moving before there was some sort of yeah, settlement um, possibly yeah. that would drag on and drag on and drag on and drag on, and who knows where it would end up. So, the COs were summoned uh, to be given orders, um, and um, 
having after the A group, again, I wasn't privy to what exactly what was said. Um, it was clear that uh, two para who were up on Sussex Mountain uh, overlooking um, the airfield, that they were to do what they had been trying to do a couple of days previously, which had been a raid on the, the airfield uh, and okay, withdraw. Um, and the, they would take the whole unit and we would at that stage ensure that they did have some gun support because the reason yeah. then didn't had had not happened with their patrol company was that the um the aircraft were actually side side moved to move um the sas and uh, sbs and 4-2 commando um or some of the elements um uh, up up towards mount kent gso3 training of the day was a uh, uh, a major in the paras, uh, he was uh, seconded to us, um, yeah. and he had dealt with all the training during the um, during ascension and stuff like that. But his role uh, traditionally in the brigade headquarters was to um, was to look after the interface with the uh, the teeny weeny helicopters with the light aircraft, and he quite right. rightly, with somebody with his experience, didn't see that was really a particularly fulfilling and meaningful role for him. Um, sure. Particularly as he he ran a good line in Iranian embassies, and I think had two MCs to his name. Oh. Um, <laughs> and so when when it was clear that uh, two para were going to go off and do their their raid or their attack um, yeah. on Darwin Goose Green, um, yeah. then I said to Hector, look, I think you're much the best. Would you go up and act as our feedback, so sort of on the rear link, and actually mm. find out what H. Jones is planning on doing and just keep us, in, keep us informed? So Hector took on this role of wherever there was a, a major battle coming up, he would leave the headquarters and go and act as our, our liaison yeah. up top end, which were, yeah. which was far better. I then got on with the crisis managing. Um, yeah. And and he had a really meaningful, fulfilling role and was brilliant at it, of course. Oh, right. So he did Goose Green then up to Mount Kent with 4-2 and... Yeah. and Rob yeah, through. I can't. I'm not, and certainly he did. I'm sure he was. He went forward on Longdon as well. Mm. Two para went off to um, to Darwin Goose Green, um, yeah. and we weren't quite sure what they were going to do. As it was, H. Jones had 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 psyched his guys up so much that it was very clear he weren't going to come back. He was, uh, sorry, not, um, the unit was not going to return back to Sussex Mountain. They were going to take Darwin Goose Green. And and to be honest, what he gave us was 650 psychopaths. I mean, in the nicest <laughs> possible way. Yeah. Um, and I've always stuck my neck out and said, I think to para the way that, that H. Jones had, had psyched them up were probably the only unit uh, who were going to do what they did? Mm. Um, they were they were not going to stop. They were going to keep going until no. they had achieved their mission, and that's exactly yeah. what they did. Well, they did, yeah, and a and a, and a tough one it was. Goose Green. I didn't think because we had close. absolutely no idea how many people, no. how many Argentinians were there, and what their force, what their defences were like. Hadn't got a clue. Yeah, and difficult ground, and supported, of course, by. Uh, Three bars as well, three brigade air squadron were yep. in there. 
supporting them with ammunition and Kazava. Yeah, as I say, we didn't really know. And sadly, and I, I apologise um, publicly because I've forgotten his Christian name, but um, uh, Chris Nunn's brother, um, who sadly the aircraft was shot down and he died. Lieutenant Nunn was yeah. killed. Yeah. Um, and Sergeant Belcher seriously wounded. Um, that was when they went in actually to try and get H. Jones out, I think, wasn't it? Uh, it they could well have been. Him. Yeah, it could well have been. And I remember, I do remember, uh, I mean, again, it's sort of, it's these things you can remember, you do come home, hearing the message coming back from Hector Gullen, who was our G3 training, the liaison officer, um, to say that uh, the, that H. Jones had been shot and, and was dead. And yeah. I can remember hearing that come through on the, on the, on the link in the brigade headquarters. But that's what... You win VCs for, yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah. I don't say that. Tri- had, I don't uh, mean that tritely. No, no, of course not. Um, because we, a we lot of people have... have said, a lot of people, you know, have criticised H. Jones for being yeah. forward where he was, but he—that's the way he led that unit. That's what his men expected, and that's what he did. Yes, I, I think um, you, you can't criticise them. You know, you, you, the the whole unit—you can't criticise the unit at all. They—they they had a very tough action, and they, they you know, they they fought bravely and they fought well, and and, and in the end, they they overcame. Yeah. Um, and it was nice that, you know, they were supported by I think C uh, nine commando artillery. They were uh, at naval gunfire support, and uh, obviously Royal Marines there as well. A good hard battle. Um, yeah. One with. But they had had no real no real time to do any reconnaissance. It was not a, a, a carefully plotted over the previous no. week uh, mission because that wasn't what we had anticipated we had to do. Yeah. So okay. while they were doing that, um, four or five commando were directed to uh, to to uh, um, yomp over towards Mount Kent. Uh, yeah. And four two commando, I think predominantly they went by helicopter uh, up to Mount Kent, and the guns were moved up, uh, and we then consolidated, and then the headquarters moved from San Carlos up to initially Teal Inlet, um, and to the settlement at Teal Inlet, and then we moved from there to the back of Mount Kent. Uh, where uh, again okay. we set up as a as a mobile sort of BV stroke tent. Yeah, I see. Okay, because Teal Inlet is kind of midway between St Carlos and Stanley to the north. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and all the mountains then are, are to the east, and then above yeah. Stanley. And that was, of course, where we we were fortunate. We were able to bring the LSLs in and resupply yeah. and get the vehicles bought by LSLs. And so when the prospect of, of um, Fire Brigade um, and the Welsh Guards moving into, um, yeah, and, and, you know, on the face of it, it looked like a reasonable plan. What nobody had really appreciated was that there were Argentinian OPs that were capable of looking down at what was going on. And what we had got away with on at Teal Inlet was that it was too far away for them to spot that. So in hindsight, and hindsight's, of course, a, a very easy thing, um, it was not the right move to have made. Um, but at the time, 
it was it was deemed to be you know we three commando brigade had got away with it therefore you know hopefully they will be able to do the same with five brigade elements yeah i see yeah fitzroy of course uh were you involved in anything you know down on the south coast or the bluff cove or yeah no i uh, we weren't i mean we we right. were rarely the most we had was the mmnaw carder who had an op who could look down into that area and, and, and then uh, what do you sort of remember then of those sort of final, those final battles, the final hill battles? Well, what I can remember is is that, the, that there's a sort of bit of luck again, and and a bit of training, a bit of experience, a bit of I don't know what it is, but we had a we had a uh, a report from the MNAW Carter that um, Argentinian Chinook had landed at Bluff Cove. And could mm. we get a, uh, a a mission, a farm mission on it? Um, and I plotted, looked on the map, and I can remember thinking to myself, this doesn't quite look right. There's yeah. something a bit odd here. So I went back to uh, the card. Are you sure it's a, it's an enemy? Yes, no, it's a Chinook, and it looks very it looks like Argentinians. So I got on the rear link to uh, to divisional headquarters, um, um, chatted to my sort of opposite number there david pennyfeather who subsequently became of course commandant general yeah um, and we were on a secure line so i explained what had been reported and i said look can you just confirm with fire brigade that there's nothing that there's none of them doing you know up there yeah, so yeah. he initially came back and said no i've checked with fire brigade and they've, they've got nothing there at all and i think i went back two or three times because it's just didn't something didn't gel with me, and yeah. on the final time there was a deathly hush, and he said, "I've just heard from Fire Brigade. Two para have hijacked the helicopter, the Chinook, and it's them who've moved up to Bluff Cove, and we yeah. so nearly blew it out. You know, put a farm mission on it. Yeah, that was very that's lucky. The fog of war. Very... That's the fog of war." Yeah. No, um, and what had happened was that they had not told their their brigade headquarters uh, that they were doing it. Yeah, and and then overextended everyone. As it turned out, it was a very good move. Um, we then had the battles of tumble of um, two sisters and tumble down and Longdon and four two commandos. Which was four two commandos. Harriet was the uh, Harriet. Harriet. Harriet was, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's funny what little stories you can think about. Um, when the brigade headquarters was moving, and we were moving because we got the shot of our lives when over the top of us some Argentinian aircraft um, came uh, and dropped some bombs, which were actually not terribly close to us, but they were clearly had spotted us. And we yeah. had been in the back of Mount Kent for some considerable time. So our electronic warfare signal must have been significant. Yeah. Uh, we actually don't think, I think that it was just pure luck. They were actually looking for something else, but uh, right. and we were yeah. it. So it was decided we must move. Uh, and this was after the Harriet, it was between the Harriet and Twin Sisters battle and then the Longdon Tumbledown. Yeah. And so the brigade commander and his TAC team headed off to uh, uh, get 
in maintain communications and i think they did that predominantly on foot or with a couple of bvs meanwhile the rest of the headquarters was set off to move um, and we were to move round to the front of mount kent but in a depression that wouldn't allow us to be uh, visible to stanley yeah so we set off in our bvs and i was in the back of the ops one um, and we hadn't been moved uh, from there for at least a week. So they were a bit creaky yeah. um, and kept stopping. And the yeah. poor uh, signals, HQ's signal squadron officer leading it, Ed Shutt, I think his name was, um, eventually stopped off at my BV and sort of poked his head. And it was pitch dark. We were doing it at night. He said, Mike, um, um, I'm not 100% sure where the path is anymore. Do you have any idea? So I said, well, honestly, I've been following the battles. I haven't been watching where the on earth we've been going. Yeah. Said, well, what do you think we should do? Um, and so I said, well, oh, well, look, if you, I'll, I'll go and look up that way, and you look down that way, and we'll, we'll keep in touch and see whether we can find the be the best track to get where we're going. So yeah. Very naively, <laughs> I pulled my pistol out of my. Um, out of my holster, out of the holster, and headed off on my own um, <laughs> right. on, the, on the front end of Mount Kent, looking for yeah, this. Really? No uh, way. Meanwhile, yeah, the, uh, the uh, Tumbledown and um, Longdon were, were bashing away, and Wireless Ridge was, was ongoing, so you could see all yeah. the tracer, etc. Right, yeah. And anyway, yeah. I did eventually find, I found the track that we were probably looking for, and we met back up again, and um, to my relief, I got back in my BV and um, put my pistol away, yeah. and we found ourselves the depression we were looking for, but it was... <laughs> Uh, the following morning, white flags were seen flying in Stanley, I think is the, yeah. is the correct expression. Yeah, um, amazing. And we then um, headed down to Stanley, where we based ourselves for the next week or so. Quite a surreal experience, I suppose, uh, being in Stanley, you know, with the Argentinian surrender and, and then sort of the, the population coming back out. It was a, um, yes, it was surreal, I think is the right expression. It was surreal. Um, and we started off, I think the sort of most of the brigade headquarter officers, we started off bunking up with the Bishop of Stanley, kindly let us have some accommodation there. Yeah. Um, and then we subsequently moved into the Secretariat building where we were set up as the sort of base headquarters, which was not far from the um, the embassy, no, the High Commissioner's build, uh, house, yeah. which was where the um, commando forces and, um, and uh, General Moore were based, which was just down the road. Um, oh, okay. Yes, I know. Yeah. And I think outside the Secretariat building is where the memorial is now, isn't it? That's where the Falklands Memorial is. I think I'd say I've never been back. So it yeah. was, um, and me, we, we, uh, we were then trying to, to find out what had happened and, and get us all home again. So we then went down into the mounting meetings and uh, to establish who did we need to get back and what ships were available and how were we going to do it. 
yeah, exactly the reverse of how it started. I think that the brigade commander Julian Thompson was pretty clear to uh, to uh, <laughs> the movers and me in particular, and said, um, "I think I we deserve to go back on Canberra. I think I'm going to lay down now that Pre Commander Brigade Headquarters is going to go yeah. back on Canberra." Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, what we, that's what we did. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Well, he'd slummed it out on fearless, really, hadn't he? Overcrowding and sort of. Well, Stories going sleeping in bars and all sorts of things. And what what about the homecoming? That must have been something quite special. It was extraordinary, just yeah. extraordinary. Uh, coming up the Solent uh, to the thousands of people um, cheering and you know supporting yeah. us, and then landing in Southampton, and then getting in coaches and driving down to, um, um, or I think my my wife had actually come up so i think we drove down in the car but um you know headed down to to plymouth and every bridge every village you went through there were people cheering it was just something else yeah i'm sure amazing. yeah just yeah amazing. and then of course we had to get into writing all the operational um reports etc which was yeah uh, i'm sure kept us busy yeah. For a bit. yeah i'm not surprised and lessons learned and and all the rest of it yeah um, yeah, amazing. I, 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 you know, it is one of those uh, incredible stories, and and to be a part of it as well, you know. Well, I, 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 I often say because I give the odd the odd talk, or I have done over the mm. past. Um, I was in a very privileged position that if you and and I don't, mean, I'm not trying to be funny about it, but if you didn't join up to kill people, which I didn't, I joined up to go adventure training and and, and <laughs> climbing and skiing. And, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I probably had the best job at my level mm. of anybody as GSO3 Ops exercise in amphibious warfare. Yeah, um, okay. it was yeah. just extraordinary. I mean, I wrote the the SIPREP back every night to to UK. Right. Um, yeah. So if anybody knew roughly what was going on, it was probably yeah. me, which was a very privileged position. So. Um... What, what did you do when you came back? Um, I think we went off on holiday. <laughs> but yeah. We then had all the op reports to write. Um, yeah. And uh, we then, we didn't do, yeah, we didn't do the uh, September exercise. Right. Uh, that we'd been over to do the reconnaissance for that I had mentioned. Yeah. Um, the US Marine Corps did, before MAB did, but we didn't. Um, mm. And so did the Navy. Um, fearless, we still still participated in that, but our brigadier what? decided that we had done enough and we weren't going to do that. So we didn't then go and um, onto that exercise. Um, yeah. And I can't remember how much longer I then stayed as as in in that job before I then moved on to do another one. Thank you for listening. That's the end of part one. I'm sure you agree Mike is a very interesting character, a long and distinguished career, uh, and also, of course, a great storyteller. Uh, part two is coming very soon, including his time on Operation Haven in northern Iraq, uh, where I also served with 4-5 Commando. I hope you enjoyed listening to Mike as much as I did uh, talking to him. Uh, shame we couldn't do it over a beer, but uh, I'm sure we'll manage to catch up at some point. Uh, thank you again, and do please check out my website, rawmarineshistory.com.